Good morning. If you are a first-timer today at North Roanoke, we are working our way through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, and we find ourselves in chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. The, the author and writer of Hebrews has been building to this passage for 11 and a half chapters. This is kind of like the climax of Hebrews. We, when we get to, to chapter 13, it's kind of like the letters of Paul. He adds a lot of sort of ancillary things at the end, but we are beginning uh, the first part of sort of the climactic passage in Hebrews. And to understand it, it's helpful to recall, as I've shared with you many weeks in a row, that the the readers are facing persecution for faith in Jesus. And so they're tempted to go back to the Old Covenant, to go back to a religion that did not bring ongoing and joyful access to God. Some of them wanted an acceptable religion, a religion that was reduced to a checklist, which was expressed only in a particular location and only practiced really by the priestly class so that they could go on living their lives being accepted in the world and feeling like they were okay with God. And in this passage, Hebrews asks the church by way of comparing the old covenant sacrificial system and the new covenant in Jesus, do you really want to go back? And he does it by comparing two mountains. So I've, I've titled this message, The Tale of Two Mountains. Mount Sinai in the wilderness represented the giving of the old covenant. And the author is asking us if we could reduce the question behind this paragraph to one sentence or one question. It would be this. Why would you go back to Mount Sinai when you have already come to Mount Zion? Why would you go back to Mount Sinai when you've already come to Mount Zion? Hear now the word of the Lord. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels to the general assembly or perhaps better translated there to myriads of angels in festal gathering and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Would you pray with me? God, help us by your Spirit to process, to understand, to comprehend what you have said in this text. And God, for it to become alive and to become real to us today. Lord, if, if the realities that are spoken of in this text are not true for someone here this morning, I ask God today would be the day that they would encounter the judge of all in grace through the blood of Jesus. That today would be the day of salvation for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Two truths that I want to share with you from this text this morning. To stay the course in a world that wants to quit. In, in, that wants us to quit. You, you live in a world that doesn't want you to make it, which is what the Pilgrim's Progress is all about. It's a 
It's a great movie, great reminder. I hope you'll come out. But we live in a world that wants us to fail and to fall out of the race. So to stay in the race in a world that wants us to quit, first we must consider the inadequacy of outward religion to qualify us to encounter God in joy. Everyone will encounter God at some point. But only those who've been washed by the blood of Jesus can encounter God in joy. And then secondly, we must recognize we already have joyful access to God's presence if we are in Christ. So first, we need to consider the inadequacy of outward religion to qualify us to encounter God in joy. In verses 18 through 21, Hebrews takes us back to Mount Sinai where the instructions for the Old Covenant are given to Moses. In verse 18, the words a mountain aren't actually there, but we know that's what he's describing because he compares it to the Mount Zion mentioned in verse 22. Sinai was a real, physical, visible mountain. It was a mountain that you could touch. We see that in verse 18. We know that because Moses went up the mountain, you remember this, to receive the Ten Commandments and the instructions on the construction of the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrificial system, the the priestly garments, the washings, and all the rest. Do you you remember this story from like your childhood Bibles, right? Moses goes up, and it's, it's a terrifying sight. It was a glorious sight, but it was also dreadful. It was also full of gloom and and terror. And in verse 18, we're reminded that there was a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and a blast of a trumpet. When Moses reflects on this reality back in Deuteronomy, he says this, the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. In Exodus 19, we read much the same thing. God's presence was so great so holy, so perfect, so magnificent that the people were afraid to even hear the voice of God speak. We read about that in verse 19. In Exodus 20, 19, we read this. They said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. It was a magnificent moment there at Mount Sinai in the wilderness, but it was also a terrifying moment. Have you you ever been in a situation where you were so overcome with fear? Not Not an irrational fear, but a rational fear. So overcome by the power of something greater than yourself that it rendered you speechless. For almost 11 years, Stacey and I lived in Raleigh while her parents and my parents lived here. We had both of our children in North Carolina, and we would frequently try to find times to journey back so our children could have time with their grandparents. That's important, right? Grandparents, little grandparent time. And, uh, you know, they were always like, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? When are you coming home? All right, we'll be there. Like, you know, the road goes both ways, just saying. Um, And you're retired, and I'm not. But anyway, um, so we would hop in the car, and we would journey home, and um, I was still working, and um, I would sometimes leave Stacy and the kids here to get their grandparent time, and then I would stay as late as I could on Sunday night, and then I would drive back home and catch a plane on Monday morning, and this was one of those times, and so it's a Sunday night, and it's uh, tornado season, and there were tornadoes up and down the eastern seaboard. There's more tornadic activity in North Carolina than in Virginia, but... 
uh, they had even crept up into Virginia uh, on this particular evening. And Stacey's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I got, I got to catch a plane in the morning. I'm, I'm driving home. I'll be fine. Um, I don't know if any of you driven to Raleigh, but I went through Yanceyville on 86. There's like a McDonald's and a Hardee's there. And Hardee's has this huge American flag in the parking lot. I promise that detail is going to be important in a second. And we're going down the road. We're, it's just me. I'm going down the road, and there's like this weird color sky. It's nighttime, but it's green, and it's this all sorts of weird colors together. And the rain is so heavy on my windshield that I can see nothing. The wipers are going, and it's pointless. The wipers are making no dent in the rain that's coming down and my car feels like it's going to blow off the road and it's like there's a river coming down the road but I'm like what are you going to do so I just keep going like Dory the fish just keep going just keep going and so I'm, I'm going I'm like if I could just get to McDonald's and park in the parking lot I'll be fine and so finally I get into McDonald's and I pull into the parking lot and I'm facing that giant American flag in the Hardy's parking lot that's blowing like this so, so firmly that it, it almost isn't waving. It's like somebody taped it straight out, and all you can see is sheets of rain coming off of the flag. And in my car, I'm seated there, and I, I have the sensation that my car wants to lift off the ground. And I called my wife, Stacy, and I said, Can you tell me, can you pull up your phone and tell me what in the world is going on in Yanceyville, North Carolina? And this is what she said. Is that where you are? Yeah, why? You're in the middle of a tornado. I didn't have any words. I was speechless. I just sat and prayed that God wouldn't take my car off the ground. And as terrifying as that was, it was nothing compared to the awesome display of the holy, matchless power of God on Mount Sinai. God's awesome presence put the totality of creation on notice in that moment that He alone is God. That His presence is not something to be taken lightly or entered into casually without this special manifestation of the presence of God on Mount Sinai it was just another hill in the wilderness but when God showed up in power on that mountain things changed even animals were not allowed to touch the mountain if they did they were to be put to death God's incomparable power and might and holiness and justice were on full display and Exodus tells us that it was a test would encountering the awesome power and holiness of God be enough to keep the people back from sin? And sadly, we know the answer. They saw God's might and His power and His holiness and His justice and His righteousness and how perfect and amazing that He is, and they could not bear it. And we know that this is true because while Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the people of God took the gold that God had given them on their way out of Egypt and made a golden calf. Verse 21, we read that even Moses was full of fear and trembling. Now this could refer to when God was at first speaking on the mountain, but it is more likely the author of Hebrews fast-forwarding to when Moses comes down the mountain and he sees the idolatry of God's people. And Moses says, I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you. 
The people got a glimpse of the holiness of God, but it wasn't enough to keep them back from idolatry. While Moses was on the mountain, they sacrificed that gold that God gave them and made a golden calf. The externals weren't enough. Seeing the holiness of God in power was not enough. They needed a transformation on the inside of their lives. And so praise God for what verse 18 says. We have not come to Mount Sinai. The message of Hebrews 18, verses 18 to 21 is this. Do you really want Mount Sinai and all that it represents? The only way that you could possibly think of leaving behind Jesus and going back to Mount Sinai or any other system of self-righteousness is if you are either overestimating your own ability to please God or underestimating God's perfect power and holiness and absolute hatred of sin. The law written on stone was not enough to give us ongoing access to God. The vision of God's holiness was not enough to keep us living for God. We needed more than local access at a physical mountain or a physical tabernacle. We needed God's presence not just for a moment, but for always. We needed a deeper cleansing than a ceremonial washing. We needed the stain of sin in our hearts to be removed once and for all. We needed more than outward religion. We needed the righteousness of God welling up on the inside of our hearts. And this is why Jesus came. When we trust in Jesus, we don't come to Mount Sinai and to death and the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant could only remind us of our inadequacy, but there is a different mountain that is available because of Jesus. There is a mountain where the holiness of God has already been satisfied. And if you will run to Jesus, then you will be given a residence in this mountain, a place where God's people are given joyful access to God forevermore, a mountain that cannot be Moved. We read of this mountain in verses 22 through 24. And we've got to recognize that if we're in Christ, we have already been given joyful access to God's presence. In verse 18, we are told we have not come to Mount Sinai, but, verse 22, do you see the contrast? But we have come to a different mountain. The word come to is translated draw near in many other places in Hebrews. It's one of the favorite words of the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Hebrews 10.1, the law can never make perfect those who draw near. Hebrews 10.22a, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Hebrews is all about the fact that through Jesus we have access to God without being Fearful of being devastated by His holiness because the blood of Jesus covers us. When you come to Jesus, the wrath of God is satisfied. When you come to Jesus, you don't go back to Mount Sinai, to a tabernacle, to a physical temple, or any other physical place. When you come to Jesus, He makes you a part of His temple. In fact, He makes your body His temple. And then He puts you in His church, which is His temple in the world. When you come to Jesus, you have Come, not you will come, not you might come, but you have already once and for all signs sealed and delivered by the blood of Jesus have come to the heavenly Mount Zion. The Old Testament 
is filled with verses that suggest there is a forever and inconquerable and heavenly city of God called Mount Zion. Because you can't conquer the place where God reveals His presence. As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, Psalm 2.6. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion, Psalm 9.12. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which, listen to this, cannot be moved, but abides forever. Psalm 125.1 You see, the momentary success of earthly Jerusalem as Israel's capital city was pointing us to the forever success of the heavenly Jerusalem as the capital city of all God's people in all generations for all time. The city of God can't fail for the living God lives there and no one triumphs over the living God. You can almost hear the collective gasp of the readers of Hebrews when they read, you have already come to Mount Zion. They are facing intensifying persecution in Rome. They are tempted to look back to earthly Jerusalem and the old covenant sacrificial system as a way of escape. And the author says to them, you're already in Jerusalem. You've already come. In Christ, to the true Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of God. Do you remember John 4? The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus is probing what's going on in her life. And she's getting a little bit antsy because she realizes Jesus is identifying the center of her life. And she's like, well, hey, which mountain are we supposed to worship on anyway? Is it this one or some other one? And Jesus says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Because Jesus has died and been raised and seated as our high priest at the Father's right hand, the hour has already come. We are in Mount Zion. Yes, it might feel this morning like you are losing, like COVID is killing you, like you're just dying on the inside, but Paul says you are more than conquerors in Christ. You you are already residents of His forever and victorious kingdom. One day, when God's work on earth through His people, is done. We read in Revelation 3.12 and Revelation 21.2 that the heavenly Jerusalem will come from heaven and it will endure forever. The kingdoms of this world will be toppled. Jerusalem is coming and we are already there. So tell me again, if I could paraphrase the pastor writing back to the Hebrews, so tell me again why you're looking to a physical temple and ongoing sacrifices when you're already seated with God in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.6, when you're already citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. In Jesus, church, you're not on the outskirts of heaven. You are in the main event. You are downtown Jerusalem. You are at Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. I'll never forget living in Raleigh for those 10 years. We, we lived in the part of Raleigh that was so far north that it used to just be Wake County and you had to like take your own garbage somewhere, but the city just keeps growing and keeps growing and keeps growing. So technically, our address was Raleigh. But we were probably 15, 17 minutes from downtown and even if you timed the lights right on Capitol, it was just a, a frustrating drive. So we rarely went to downtown Raleigh. I didn't want to fool with the traffic. But one Independence Day night when Elizabeth was old enough and Stacy was, was with Samuel and taking care of him, I said, Elizabeth, let's go downtown and see the sights. 
put on your best Independence Day outfit and let's, let's go take in the fireworks, the sights and the smells and the sounds. She loved the food. She loved the people, the pomp and the circumstance, the, the quest for a parking space, which took forever. The city was alive and Elizabeth absolutely loved it. She had lived in Raleigh her entire life, but she had never experienced the city. And I think a lot of Christians are like that. You trusted in Jesus. You surrendered your life to Christ, but you still haven't laid hold of what is available for you through the blood of Jesus. You still haven't opened your spiritual eyes to what God has for you. And it's like, it's like the author of Hebrews says, do you really want to go back to the old covenant? Let me show you around the city. Let's take a tour. And my prayer in the remaining portion of this message is that for those of you who really know Christ, that, you, that God in Christ would open your spiritual eyes to see the reality of what you have through Jesus. And that if you don't know Jesus, that today would be the day you say, I need that. And I'm surrendering my life to Jesus and following Him as King. What do we have in this city? First, we have myriads of angels in festal gathering. The word myriad is 10,000. And if you have myriads, plural, it means it's innumerable. Thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping as they reflect God's glory and tell of Christ's salvation. Second, we have come to the church or to the assembly of the firstborn. This is one of the few places in the Bible that we read about the universal church. It's the church eternal, gathered from all tribes and tongues and language and nations through all generations, gathered in the heavenly Mount Zion. It's those saints who've gone to be with the Lord, and it's those saints who are living and ambassadors for Him right now. When you turn from sin and trust in Jesus, look at verse 23, you are enrolled in heaven. Some of you may have enrolled in college or professional school. You may have enrolled in any variety of places. You, you might be a member of this church, and I, I hope and pray that you are an active part of a local church. But at the end of the day, you want to be one of those who is enrolled in heaven. Because Revelation tells us only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will endure with God forever. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the firstborn of the Father, we are those who are the assembly or the church of the firstborn. We recognize that we did not earn or deserve heaven. Only Jesus, the firstborn from the Father, did. And we give our lives to Him. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we get Jesus in our place. And our names are recorded in His book. Think how different this mountain is. At Sinai, people were terrified of the presence of God and afraid they were going to die. At Zion, because Jesus died in our place, the threat of death is removed and we worship the living God in spirit and truth. We worship in His city alongside the angels. At Sinai, access to God was limited and it was localized. But at Zion, we have access to God at all times and in all places. Verse 23 says, We have come 
to God, the judge of all. Did you know that God is the judge of all? He sees all, knows all. He knows the secret thoughts of the heart. He knows everything you've ever said, done, or thought that displeases God. But if you'll come to Christ today, that all of that junk that should lead to your death won't have to lead to your death because Jesus already died to pay for it. You see, in Christ, you've already come to God as judge, and you have known that He accepts you as one who's been adopted through the, the blood of Jesus. You've been welcomed as a full citizen with full access to the things of God. How in the world is that possible? This holy God that we saw on Mount Zion, this, His presence was terrifying. Now He's accepted me. How is that possible? Because Jesus came and bore the wrath of God in your place. Through the sacrifice of His Son, God has made the people enrolled in heaven perfect. You see, when you come to Mount Zion, when you come to Jesus, we come to spirits of righteous people made perfect. All the people in heaven will have the perfection of God as their defense. They won't be perfect because of what they did. They'll be perfect because of what Christ has done. When you come to Jesus, He gives you His righteousness. When Jesus returns and the heavenly city becomes visible, these spirits made perfect will receive perfect and glorified bodies and they will dwell forever with Christ their King. We don't see that right now. But just because we don't see it doesn't mean it isn't real. And it is all possible because of Jesus. That's why verse 24 begins with these words. Do you see how the author's building? You weren't at Mount, you're, we're not at Mount Sinai, we're at Mount Zion. At Mount Zion, there's angels and there's, there's the church of the firstborn and there's people made righteous who are qualified to stand before God, the judge of all. And that's amazing. It seems impossible, but it is possible because of how verse 24 begins, because we have come to Jesus. When you have come to Mount Zion and to all these other things, the reason they are possible is because you have come to Jesus. Have you ever heard this question, when you get to heaven, what do you want to see first? Or who do you want to see first? And I understand the spirit of the question. Do you want to see the streets of gold? Do you want to see Moses or David or Daniel or maybe Peter or Paul or Timothy or Titus or Lydia or Dorcas or maybe a a relative or a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife and all these things will be so great to see and if they trusted in Jesus they will be there but when I get to heaven church and when you get to heaven I hope you can affirm with me that the first thing I want to see is Jesus when I get to heaven I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and I want to cry on his feet I know he wipes away every tear but I want to shed tears on his feet of joy because he let those feet be nailed to a tree though he didn't deserve it so he could rescue me from all the things in my life that displeased God and he would give me a share in his righteousness and I want to sit there for a thousand years and then I want to look up and say I praise you and then I want to go back for another thousand years and wash his feet with my tears and after about 10,000 or maybe 20,000 or a hundred thousand years of worshiping at the feet of Jesus maybe then I'll get up and say could we take a tour around the city I want to see Jesus. He's the one who died for me. It's the work of Jesus on the cross that fills 
heaven. You take Jesus out of this list and there is no hope. But if you run to Jesus, you have Him and everything else the list includes. Take Jesus out of heaven, church, and heaven is hell. But praise God, Jesus is there. And if you're in Him, you are there as well. Because Jesus is God made flesh. He can represent us before the Father and qualify us to know His presence. He is the mediator of a better covenant. Verse 24. He's the one who stands between God and man representing man to God so that God does not consume them and He doesn't consume them because He's already paid the price in His blood. He's the one that gives a better covenant. How is it better? It brings an eternal inheritance. It brings the final and complete forgiveness of sins. It gives a clean conscience and access to God. It's a covenant that brings everlasting life because the requirement of death has been paid once and for all, not by an animal, but by Jesus Christ, the final Passover lamb of God who puts God's desire for your death to rest once and for all. In this way, the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Abel was innocent Uh, relatively speaking, to his brother Cain. Cain killed him because God accepted Abel's sacrifice. And we read in Genesis 4.10, his blood cried out to God from the ground for vindication. His blood foreshadowed the blood of another son, a perfectly righteous and sinless son who would leave heaven, who would be killed by his brothers knowing that he would die so they could have a share in his righteousness. The blood of Jesus doesn't just say that Jesus is righteous. It says that everyone who trusts in him can have a share in his righteousness. Oh, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus says, I am a holy despite what I have done. The blood of Jesus says, I have confidence in coming before God. The blood of Jesus says that though I should have died, I have access to God. Oh, the blood of Jesus. I had a text conversation with Paul about this a couple nights ago. He's like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, man, I'm going to preach long. Because this text is amazing. It's like, it's like the readers of, of the book of Hebrews have been saying, if, if only I could go to the mountain and see the lightning and thunder, then I would have confidence in God. And the, the pastor writing back to the, book of, to the people reading the book of Hebrews says, are you kidding me right now? You want to go back to that? You've come to Zion. And you're talking about going to Jerusalem and sacrificing some animals and you are already in the Jerusalem that will never be shaken because of the sacrifice of Jesus? Would you wake up? Angels are here. God is here. The saints are here. Jesus is here. Stop your pity party. Open your spiritual eyes. Take a look around and worship Jesus. He's so innocent, He's so worthy, He's so pure, He's so holy, that His blood can speak for you. This morning, is your blood still speaking for you, or do you have the blood of Jesus in your place? It is only His blood that speaks a better word. His blood says we can come boldly and confidently into the presence of God. His blood says the unrighteous, the filthy, wicked sinner can be made righteous in a moment if they'll turn and trust in Jesus. His blood says the old covenant is fulfilled through the obedience of Jesus, which is finished. His blood says we can be saved. 
oh, we have come to Mount Zion. Therefore, we do not look back to what we can do. We look to Jesus and what He has done. And the Spirit fills us with fresh gratitude for so great a salvation as we delight in His presence. The presence of an awesome God who made a way for us to know Him. Jesus, You are our life. You are our hope and our confidence, our assurance and our access and our forgiveness. And You are so beautiful. You are so worthy. You're so mighty and yet so gentle. So glorious and exalted and yet so near and willing to meet us where we are. Thank You for meeting us today. Help us to go in Your power and in Your grace proclaiming that You are life and that we have found life in Your Son. And in your name, God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.